Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. All right, this is your host, Tom Hessen, with our next episode of The Revenue Hustle. So excited to invite Akash Roadcar to the podcast. Akash, welcome to The Revenue Hustle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. So Akash, you are the practice leader for data and AI at Hexware, overseeing all countries outside of the US. Tell us a little bit about your role. Well, um, I'm excited to announce that on uh, December 11th, I joined the movement to build the great Hexware. Uh, so I've been tasked to lead the data and AI practice for the rest of the world. This means all geographies outside of uh, North America. I'm thrilled to be part of this team. Um, and yeah, as uh, the data and AI leader for ROW, I serve as a strategic growth leader responsible for authoring and charting sales growth, as well as driving operational leadership for the data and AI portfolio across the geography. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you're a busy guy with all the data and analytics conversations happening. So excited to dig into that a little bit, but uh, you know how we do this on the Revenue Hustle. We do revenue rules. So go ahead and give us your first revenue rule. Well, uh, my first revenue rule is that value creation is king, not the customer. And maybe I can unpack that a little bit. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, that customer is king, I would argue that the requirement or value creation itself for the organization is king. So by placing the requirement at the center and by aligning everything around it, even the customer becomes a stakeholder to the requirement. Now think about that a little bit, right? Uh, uh, You know, the questions that need to be answered are, you know, need to begin from inward to outward, right? What is your requirement? What is the value that you need to create? Do you need to optimize costs? Do you need to uh, maximize revenues or do you need to improve uh, efficiencies in your processes? So with that being said, you know, value creation needs to be the center of everything and all of the, all of us, including the customer, become stakeholders to that. That's very counterintuitive because you're right. I mean, we always think about the customer being right, right? Customer's king, right? We're all working at our customer's, um, you know, request and, 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 uh, and, and so the idea that we are peers with our customers and all trying to seek the value that they aspire to makes us partners in that journey, which I think is really interesting. Instead of just assuming the customer's right, you're telling us the value that they aspire to is what we're all working together, right? Did I catch that right? Yeah, so uh, see a lot of times, especially because you know I work with data and AI, customers really do not know what the end looks like. They have, a, they have a version of what end looks like, but they don't either know precisely what it is, or in some cases, they may know precisely what it is, but they don't know the, how to get the journey to get there, which is why, you know, they say, hey, this can be done in two months, whether it's a, whether, whereas it could be a six-month job, or they don't know the components that need to come together to get there. So having said that, 
you know, getting the requirements or the value creation right is, is I think, the biggest step uh, towards success or any success or when we partner, you know, with, with our clients. And that's, that's something that we, we call value-led consultative selling, right? So uh, imagine a dartboard. And if you look at a dartboard, right at the center is the requirements, is the value that the organization requires. And then you have those, you know, pizza-type pies in the middle. Right. All of those are stakeholders. So you have customer as one of them. You have us as, you know, SI partners as one of them. You have the hyperscaler partner as one of them. You have the business function uh, to which we are catering to as one of them. You have some of the internal services, their internal IT, cloud, whatever, infrastructure, all of that as one of them. All of, all of these are stakeholders to the value that needs to be created. And that I feel is central to how we should talk or engage with customers. Um, and that has led us to, you know, a lot of success, uh, not only in my career, but, you know, also for uh, my company. So how did you, I mean, I, I think this is interesting because you're right. A lot of times people put the customer at the center, not as a pie, as a stakeholder in the value. So how did you come to this? Like, how did you start to think about, you know, the, the goal, the value creation kind of being at the center? Like, where did that originate from? How did you think about that? So, so. Um, the genesis of most good things is, is failure. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah. So a couple of things. So failure in terms of, let's say, not understand, a failure in terms of, let's say, not understanding the requirements, right? Failure in terms of not looking at which metrics or levers, you know, we are, we are targeting. And failure in terms of not sizing the opportunity in terms of effort, right? So all of these failures, you know, came, you know, uh, and when you, you know, hindsight is always 2020, they say, right. But in that 2020, when you're having that 2020 vision, you need to see, okay, fine. You know, what are the failure points that are being, where are going wrong? And that made me realize this concept of, you know, the requirements being king or the value being uh, king. And uh, as a method, then what we, what we uh, developed is to have a value-led consultative center. So uh, just imagine, I'll give you an example. So let's imagine uh, insurance company. Let's imagine we're working for the claims. Now, when we talk to them and they say, hey, you know, we want to, we want to, uh, you know, infuse AI within our claims process. All right, that's fine. Uh, you know, where do you want to do this? So do you want to do it for operationally? Do you want it to do it financially? Or do you want to do it for customer? So let's say they want to do it operationally. So then the next question is, hey, do you operationally, do you want to uh, improve your efficiency? Do you want to improve your process times? Or do you want to improve your cost drivers? Right? So these are values that, you know, that these are questions that we want to ask. And if you want to improve efficiency, let's say in our analogy that we're talking about, it's, it's a different proposition that we need to go for. If you're looking at financial metrics and looking at claims handling expenses to be reduced, then that's a different, uh, you know, value that we're going for. So just when we, you know, uh, uh, when a customer says, hey, we want to infuse uh, AI in our claims uh, process, and then we show them slides and, and we kill them death by slides, they say, right? We kill them saying that we can do A, B, C, we can do all of these things. So the conversation goes haywire, right? right. Uh, whereas if you lead by value to say that, okay, fine, which is your biggest pain point within claims, right? Is it operations? Is it finance? Is it customer? And he says, okay, fine, it's operations. You know, I would like to reduce my cost drivers and leakage as far as claims are concerned. He says, fair enough. 
Now, within your cost driver and leakage, then that is where you hone in to say that, okay, which one of the processes would you like to take, pick up for infusing AI? And with that, you know, you're on a solid ground. The customer knows that he's not trying to uh, use Harry Potter's wand and, you know, uh, change his claims process completely. He knows that he's targeting a lever and that lever then will have an infused AI and will have a different day in a life for his existing practitioners who are working on that processes, right? So I think, you know, uh, using this value-led approach right from the start, uh, and then, you know, once we know that, okay, for this lever, we have a lot of experience and basis that we can size the effort properly, we can put in the right talent, and therefore then deliver, uh, you know, uh, the right, uh, deliver it right for the, for the project. And ultimately, what is the customer looking for? What is the organization looking for? They're looking for value, they're looking for the newspaper headline. They want to say that, you know, X insurance company brought down costs by 26% using AI to, you know, uh, decrease the cost levers and revenue leakage. So that's the newspaper headline we want to write. And that's only done when you start with value. Well, I think what jumps out, what jumps out to me when you're talking about that is because sometimes customers do know what they want. And they may be adamant about that, but making the value, like those are the facts. Like the value is, is um, to me more um, clear, but the customer may be, it gives them room to learn and change and modify. And because of the education of the value-led consultative selling approach, we're, we're trying to shape the value as partners rather than just take what the customer gives us and try to go do that. Right. So like if the customer just says, hey, here's what I want. And you go and say, I can give you what you want. They may be wrong. Right. The value, what they're asking for may not really align to the value that they perceive or, or desire. But by making them a partner and objectively working on defining the value, then it gives you and them the opportunity to kind of mold and shape and, and, and change or learn as you're trying to define the value. Right. Rather than just saying the customer's right, I got to go do what they asked them to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I can, and I can, I can articulate the, what you mentioned in a day in our life, day in the life from, from our perspective. Right. So customers, let's say, can come to us as an example and say, I have a data quality problem. Can you solve that for me? Now, for us, it's a very straightforward uh, uh, response to say that, yes, data quality can be solved doing A, B, C. But then if you want to go through the value route and say that, okay, fine, you are a, you have a data quality problem. How is that impacting you today? And if he comes back and says, you know what? I'm not able to build my customer's property because I don't have uh, quality data coming through. And my unbuilt uh, uh, is the reason where I cannot get revenue at the right time. And I have a lot of, you know, um, um, uh, CAPEX issues over there. So... Now that completely redefines the way we need to approach the problem because we could start with a small POC taking that unbuilt data, proving data quality, and then saying, okay, fine, this is the proof of the pudding. And now we can apply this for you know, different kinds of data across your uh, organizational ecosystem. So we start small, prove value, and then you know, uh, uh, deliver the bigger bang for the buck over a, a period of time. Rather than just saying to them, okay, data quality, this is a million dollars. This is what you need to spend. And then the customer is saying, why? Right? So completely different approaches, uh, you know, taking a leaf from what, how you articulated it and the way we then uh, approach the same thing 
for these simplistic problems that you know you feel are so easy to solve but when you take them through a value you know it completely changes the uh, you know dynamics between the collaboration that the customer sees us as a trusted partner yeah i mean it's easy for us to you know as sellers right to to lose sight of the value and and you know the customer comes we get excited they're they're you know they're giving us an opportunity to talk to them about their pain points. We, you know, we may do discovery and ask some questions around their data and your problem, like the data quality. Well, why do you have data quality problems, but not step back and look at the broader value implications, right? We just say, great, they came to us, let's go solve their problem and let's just go. Um, so why were you having the failures? Were you not losing the, were you losing the opportunities? Like, were you like, customer friction, like you said, like you learned this through failures. So what were those sorts of failures that you saw? Like you didn't win the deal, the customer was, you know, I don't know, didn't like your approach or what was it that you think lend itself to the failure by not doing what you're saying? I'm kind of curious. Okay. If you yeah. That. So let me start by saying that delivery is the currency for sales. Now, having said that, uh, if we need to be effective in uh, landing and expanding. So let's say you have different kinds of accounts. There are certain accounts you want to land as new logos. Once you've landed those new logos, you probably want to expand those new logos. Right. And landing and, and delivery is the currency of sales. So I'm going back to that statement. Now, if you want to land and expand, your delivery needs to be spot on. Your ability for future uh, expansion depends on how you uh, deliver today. Now, what we saw is that there was a little bit of fiction to say that People, you know, clients were completely not open. And again, this is nothing to do with my, uh, you know, present organization because I just joined them, but I'm talking more from an experiential perspective, right? Um, having worked over 20 years, you know, in similar organizations and so on and so forth. So, so yeah. So, so, why, so asking the delivery team, say, where's the friction coming from? Why is there a little bit of friction? Why are they not so open to uh, uh, other uh, potential collaborations, right? So having said that, you know, we've, we've seen that uh, we were more of, let's say, order takers rather than, you know, value-led uh, you know, propositions, right? So when you want to completely pivot your perception with the customer, uh, that's when we understood that we need to go to a value-led approach. And um, yeah, essentially what we think is, uh, going back again to the uh, first statement I made, delivery is the currency of sales. So if you want additional sales, especially in your existing customers. Um, I think, you know, what we thought is value-led is the way to go. Um, uh, you know, what we did was we elevated the team's ability through these value-led solutions. Uh, we coached them, uh, you know, training was provided or, you know, uh, a certain set of leaders took this as a way of uh, show and tell. And there was a 20% increase in the average deal size. Uh, and there was a 15% increase in the win rates. Uh, you know, when we started all of these kind of approaches. So, yeah, so that was mm -hmm. probably the genesis of uh, how this started. No, that's great. No, I think it, it's, it's sounds so simple, right? When you talk about it that way, and you obviously have done this very naturally and, and you've learned this. Um, so it comes off very naturally. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've seen, like when you train your teams, right, to kind of think this way, um, did it come natural to them? Did it take time and practice? Like what was your, um, sounds like you did get some results, which is great, but like, what was some of the experiences as you kind of transitioned the team to think about this value led approach? 
Yeah. Um, so again, it didn't come naturally to most of them and even for me, right? Uh, so to speak. But I think most leaders are brought in to effect some cultural change without which I think organizations would just run in the same way that they would run before. Because all organizations think that they're doing a very good job of it. You know, whether let's, I mean, I'll just give you an, uh, a generic example. You know, a Nike would say they're doing very well. An Adidas would say they're doing very well. And a Puma would also say, or a New Balance would say they're all doing very well in certain uh, shapes and forms, right? Um, so it's it's generic with any organization. The biggest change that, the most difficult, challenging change that you can impact is cultural change. And uh, the I think I said uh, uh, this earlier, I said that the perception from the clients were that we were order takers. You know, we execute very well. We, we understand and we execute very well. But we don't understand actually what we are executing. This was also told to us by one or two stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And I took that in uh, and I took it to heart, uh, so to speak. And that's when, you know, I started uh, myself understanding, hey, what is value for an organization? What is value? And I, when I gave you the example of the insurance claims, hey, what is value when I talk to the head of claims of an insurance company? What is value? Let's say when I talk to the head of a uh, digital, um, uh, you know, digital channel for a banker, right? Does he look at scale? Does he look at active usage or does he look at engagement, right? Uh, if it is engagement, does he look at NPS or does he look at customer satisfaction index? Because they're completely two different things. So what is it for them? So when they talk to an energy utilities uh, organization, hey, what is the head for the sourcing and procurement over there? What is the, uh, you know, what is the value for that person? So I started understanding those things. And then we created some kind of organizational value tree. We did it across different verticals. We did it for, let's say, a vertical. We created business functions. And by business function, then we created primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, value trees. And then we we evangelize those internally. We evangelize that with our associates. We evangelize that with our architects, engineers, even delivery folks. Because why? Again, I want to repeat, maybe for the fourth or fifth time, delivery is the currency of sales. Uh, And obviously, delivery is also the biggest engine that we have, right? It's not the sales guys who are the biggest engine. It's the delivery who is the biggest engine. The sales guys get the delivery uh, practitioners, the champions on the calls, and they say, hey, this is the proof of the pudding. So, you know, we evangelize it internally. It was almost like an 18-month kind of, you know, organizational current uh, cultural change that we went through. We did it across different geographies. Certain geographies were quick to pick it up. And these were the geographies that were lagging in revenue, smaller geographies. They were very nimble. They said, yes, this is fantastic. We were quick to pick it up. They right. showed an improvement. And then that gave the bigger biomoths of the geographies to say, that, hey, if these guys can do it, we can also do it because we have just bigger accounts. We have larger accounts. You know, we have just much more to lose if we don't do that rather than, you know, anything else. So, yes, it was not, it was not short. It was very challenging. And it was all people driven because when you need to say change mindsets, when you need to change, have an organizational cultural change, you know, it takes time. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of patience. You know, typically I use one word is a woodpecker theory. You know, you know, you just need to be a woodpecker. If you believe in something and you believe right. it wholeheartedly, you know, keep pecking away like the woodpecker. 
somewhere some you will not know where that tree will break there will right. be a hole right. and suddenly right. you know there is a house to live in over yeah no that's a great analogy no that's great i think this is a really interesting topic and and um you know you did a great job of breaking that down for us um very counterintuitively for sure so let's transition to the second revenue rule why don't you go ahead and give that to us yeah um the second revenue rule is account planning is the greatest hygiene uh, in life, right? Um, let me unpack that a, a little bit. Um, you know, a, a lot of us have a lot of go-to-market plans. Um, you know, you could you could do it by geography, you could do it by hyperscaler, you could do it by alliance, you could skin it a lot lot different ways. But at the end of the day. Uh, the revenue comes from the client, the customer. And uh, going back to the first revenue rule, uh, value for the client will give us revenue. Right. So the way you plan your accounts, the way you identify which accounts you will proactively not touch and you will proactively go for completely defines your year, your financial year. And I firmly believe in that. Well, you're right. Most of our, you know, it's always easier to grow an existing client than it is to land a new one. And usually the the new logos aren't like it's a foot in the door, right? So that may be your big account in two to three years to come. But expanding an existing account is is because um, you know the value, you have relationships, but you just now need to kind of unpack that. So tell me about how you do account planning. What does that mean for you? Number one to start with is to group the accounts uh, into certain buckets. Uh, so you have the large accounts. These are your lighthouse accounts, the diamonds in your pack, right? This is where you build a moat around. Right. Yeah, very simple. And we'll come back to that later. The next bucket is your growth accounts. These are accounts you've acquired as new logos and you're looking to expand your wallet share in these accounts. So you are the new blue-eyed boy for the client. Hey, yes, you know, we love to work with you. You're, you're our new partner. You know, you've already delivered one great project. You know, you want to land and expand with these, with these clients. So second was the growth accounts. The third ones are the new logos. And I'm sure you, you, you look at this yourself, right? Your new logos. Which are the logos with high tech spend where you currently do not have a wallet share? Those are the ones you want to actively go after. What is your plan for that? And the last one is your tail accounts, logos where you know you will proactive, you will have no proactive engagement. It will all be reactive. Right? So once you group into these accounts, you take the first two accounts where, where you want to grow, which is your large accounts and your growth accounts. And then you have a account-wise plan for expanding in there. With the large accounts, typically you know what their uh, five-year plan is. So let's say we are in 2024. So what is their 2026 or 2028 uh, uh, you know, growth objectives, right? If, it's, if you're talking to a car auto manufacturer, they could possibly have a connected car as one of their growth objectives. They could possibly have uh, a trans transparent supply chain as one of their growth objectives. So they could have certain growth objectives. Now, how, do, how can you fit in 
uh, data and AI within that growth objective. So what does data and AI mean for a connected car in, our, in, our, in the example that we are speaking about? And then you, that's where you start with value. And that's how then you plan for those, you know, those kind of accounts. Uh, where, because large accounts, you typically know you're working with them as a trusted partner. They, are, they share with you information uh, about their growth objectives so that you can then come back to them and say that, hey, this is our point of view on how you can achieve your growth strategy growth objectives, right? So that's your large account plan. When you talk about growth account, this is where you have, you know, vague kind of knowledge. You will have knowledge in bits and spurts. You might have better knowledge, let's say, from uh, the finance department. You may have zero knowledge from the marketing department. You may have very little knowledge from the customer care kind of department, right? You know, so how do you make things work within your growth accounts? Is you look for champions. Um, you know, obviously, you look for champions. You look for business uh, heads. And when you look at business function heads, um, yeah, that's where then you approach them with some value propositions, right? Say, hey, with your company, what we see, you know, in the, in the market is, you know, it's facing X amount of things, which is why, you know, for you, if we can improve, let's say, uh, your unbuilt percentage and uh, that itself is a 6% markup on the revenue that you're getting. So, you know, you come go with them with value propositions. And then there is a whole lot of marketing and evangelization that needs to be done over a period of time, right? Whether it's thought leadership, white papers, you know, uh, calling them for events, partner-led events, you know, or even bespoke events for, you know, bespoke curated event. So there's a lot of those things that can be done uh, for those kind of accounts. So, yeah, so different, uh, you know, different kind of uh, uh, ways that you can tackle for large accounts and for growth accounts. No, that's that's great. Now I'm thinking about what I need to be doing right now around my own account plans. Um, I think it's very clear. And so when you think about, you know, so now if we zero in on your growth accounts or your, you know, your diamond accounts, those, those top, I forget what you call them, but like the, the ones that, you know, you build the motor around, right? So once you're in there, do you as a team sit down and talk about, um, okay, where do we have relationships? Where where are we going? Where is their 2025 plan? Tell me a little bit about how you actively go from, to like to create the actual plan. Is it a document? How do you guys co-create that? Do you sometimes co-create that with the client in some cases where, you know, they're like, hey, you know, we want you to grow with us. We want you to help us grow. Let's, let's work together. So I'm curious, like now, how do you go from, okay, we're going to, we, we got our accounts bifurcated. We now want to take that one client and go deep and create the plan for that one client. What is that process and document or deliverable look like? Yeah. So, so essentially at the end of the day, the deliverable or the document is uh, is a is a PPT, right? In the way where you have an executive summary of the growth objectives, uh, then those growth objectives, uh, and then you have a summary of your account mapping in place. You know who are your stakeholders? We know, we don't know. Uh, you know, oftentimes what happens is the the in large accounts. Um, we've been working with them for five years, 10 years, 15 years, in some cases, even 20 years, right? 
uh, we've lasted longer than the stakeholders themselves on the client side. So there's a, there's a lot of knowledge that we have that the current stakeholder may not have. They may be one year into their uh, role. They may be two years into their role, but we have a five-year view into it. Let's say they're going uh, uh, on a cost-cutting exercise. They've never been in a cost-cutting exercise in, in their role, right? But we've seen two cost-cutting exercises in that same organization. We know how it pans out. We know the decisions get taken. So we look at the strategic objectives. We see, you know, what the client is going to be doing next year. We pretty much know that, right, from our experience. And then we know where the stakeholder mapping is. To the, to the stakeholders already mapped out and uh, where we are already trusted partners, we go them and actually tack, uh, strategically talk about, uh, you know, the situations they will face and, and what has happened in the past to give them enough information on the table so that they are in a, a, a they are able to take uh, you know decisions yeah. now for stakeholders that uh, you know we we are not trusted partners we have no relationship with that is where we go and start building relationships right so there is a complete uh, mapping to say with where to enhance relationships where to build relationships and then you get to the point of propositions uh, you connect that with the strategic objectives so that their uh, business justification becomes that much easier when I talk to a client and I say, this is the reason, this is, I'm proposing A because uh, it ties into your strategic objective and then you can show, uh, you know, B as, as your return of investment, that uh, the, the, the way they listen to you is completely different, right? So essentially, it is a bottoms up as well as a top down kind of approach, number one. Number two, you know, the output is a PPT. Number three is we don't do this in isolation at all. There is one that we do from a data and AI perspective. Then we go to the vertical itself. The vertical is obviously the larger structure where different service lines are there. Data and AI would be just one service line. We go to the vertical and speak to them about what they are planning for that account, right? Uh, and then we present our plans. Those plans are interlocked. And then we go to the customer and we go to the stakeholders where we are trusted partners first, right? And we start from there. And we go as one single, uh, you know, company. So it's not just the data and AI going in silo, a different service line going in silo, the vertical speaking in silo, and the customer is saying, hey, you know what, why three different people telling me three different things? So we go as one company telling one kind of story, right? Uh, so yeah. that's that's potentially, you know, the way we, we look at things. And that's great. And so when you go and take this to your, you know, I've seen this with um, other clients of of ours and knowing how they do account planning with their clients so they do share some of that plan with their clients so i'm kind of curious like what are you looking for when you take your your account plan to your key stakeholder stakeholders and say hey here's how we're thinking about how we can grow our business with you here's the value opportunities that we see like what are you trying to get obviously you're getting some coaching right like or maybe it could be, I, I'm willing to introduce you to over here or over there. What are you trying to achieve in that discussion when you present your account plan to your, you know, your client staple? Yeah, to put it very simply, what we're trying to achieve is there is a budget that our client stakeholder will have. And we want to align a series of initiatives against that budget. That's our end goal. Very simple. There is an yearly budget that they have, and that's what they will spend. Right. What we are trying to do is to get a wallet share out of that. 
if our wallet share is 80% with our client we try to move it up move the dial up obviously we can't jump 20% when you already have an 80% wallet share if we are at a 40% wallet share then we try to move the needle uh, higher so the so that's the bottom line of what we are trying to do and the way we do that is through the series of initiatives that we are trying to plan for them right to say that hey this is this is the portfolio of things you could potentially do and it's tied back to your uh, you know strategic growth objectives as an organization right now are you doing that on a function by function basis so obviously you may have a small wallet share in let's say IT but your wallet share in data and AI may be larger right so you know how are you kind of dealing that because you have different stakeholders right and and where are the budgets come from and buying etc so are you doing that on a stakeholder by stakeholder basis or are you doing this with maybe your overall account sponsor at you know that insurance company example you talked about before yeah so i would look at it from my perspective i would look at the data and ai spend of the company and then look at my wallet share from that perspective so my complete uh, account planning will be from 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 that uh, area so i could be big for the vertical for for my vertical you know me as a service line could be very big over there and you could have other service lines which are small uh, or it could be the other way around but i completely look at let's say even and this is true not only for farming account this is even true for new logos so we know that there are certain logos who spend let's say 1.2 billion on data and ai and my wallet share there is 2% what do i do over there so that's my starting point straight away right and we get this information this information is not you know publicly available but this is information is available through certain organizations you know you could you can very well get this information through certain sources right uh, and, and that's how we do it for a large accounts i look at it from a data and ai perspective pure and simple for me yeah makes sense no that's i mean that's a great uh, deep dive into account planning because a lot of um you know like you said it's critical right in order to grow but there are better ways to do it than other ways, right? So um, this was a really good view into your process um, you know, that you've used for, for years now. And um, it takes discipline, right? Like um, I'll, I'll, that'll be my last question. So how much of this is like company mandated to say, hey, gosh, it's the account planning season, right? We got to do this across all of our accounts, right? Versus something that you and, and, and teams may or more naturally or organically do, right? So just from the company standpoint, how is this driven versus organically done by, you know, practice leaders? Yeah, so, so again, um, if you, even if you look at, uh, you know, fairy tales or anything like that, you know, they say culture is always top, top uh, driven from top down, right? Um, how the king is, you know, his subjects will be like that how the ceo is you know the company's flair will be like that right that's what they gen generally say uh, for me this has been part of my ethos and i've always driven that luckily for me in the organizations that i work for account planning has been given a important gravitas that i would have uh, expected it i i've never seen it taken lightly in some cases uh, i used to focus on it more and others less so but irrespective you know i have always driven account planning and one thing I want to talk about, when you, we've only spoken about accounts and, 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 you know, how to plan for that. But there is a lot of, lot of different things, the nuggets that go into that, right? Uh, what's, 
you know, do we have a, uh, are we aligning the right service offering for those accounts? Are we leveraging the right client relationships? Uh, are, have we are we talking about thought leadership with them? Are we building brand awareness with them? Uh, hey, how are we connected with them geographically? They are there in 25 countries. How are we connected with them across geographies? Do we only have a relationship with them in, let's say, I'm just throwing this up, in the Netherlands and not somewhere else? Right. right. Hey, well, how much do we need to hire for that client to expand our team, to deepen our relationship? Hey, for our existing folks, what is the investment in training and development? And, you know, at the end of this, you know, you create a plan, you create all of these nuggets that I mentioned. What is the cadence, uh, you know, that, that goes into all of this? So, you know, the gravitas for all of this is, again, like I said, culture, very important. And once you, once you build that down, then everybody knows how they're going, everybody uh, knows what lens they're going to be, you know, evaluated with. And once they know with what lens they're going to be evaluated with, everyone then flows into that same, uh, you know, structure. Some, something I would use the word swarm intelligence, right? So once you, you know, know uh, how it works, then the swarm just moves in one direction as if it's one big, large organization. And that's, that's the sweet spot to get, you know, for teams. Yeah, no, that's great. So, um, so tell us a little bit of how you got into consulting and uh, professional services. And specifically, usually that means you start as a delivery person and somehow you've turned into a growth leader. So I'm, I'm tell me a little bit about that whole transition because usually that's not um, easy for a lot of delivery people that come up through the ranks and being asked to sell. So, okay. So let me unpack that a little bit more. Uh, from my role perspective and how I get there. So I have completed the circuit. Now, what do I mean when I say I've completed the circuit? So I've worked across diverse roles. You mentioned sales and, and delivery, but I've also worked in pre-sales. I've also worked in solutioning. I've also worked in customer success. Mm. Although sales has by far been the majority of my tenure. Now, why am I telling you this and why is this important? Because with this, I have a deep understanding of the different aspects of an organization and the challenges that these different roles face. Now, this understanding then allows me to appreciate their work and to collaborate effectively. And the way I have now seen myself through these roles and the client, hey, as a customer success leader, how do I see the client? As a solutioning leader, how do I see the client? As a growth leader, for sales growth leader, how do I see the client? As a delivery leader, how do I see the client? Now, all of that becomes critical for success. And that has shaped me both personally. And, you know, I believe being a collaborative leader is, you know, crucial for success, both personally as well as, you know, for the organizations that I work for. So that's, you know, how I've come about to be this, uh, you know, consultative-led, you know, uh, seller. No, that's great. Um, where can we follow you online? Uh, I think LinkedIn is the best uh, place to follow me online. I'm pretty much active there. Um, yeah, whatever uh, whatever I learn, I try and share because yeah, it's all about I, sharing. I, I shared this with you before we started that you do. I've really enjoyed your podcast or your uh, your LinkedIn content. It's it's consistent and it's uh, really good. So I would encourage the audience to. Uh, connect with a cop on LinkedIn and, and follow specifically about a lot of the AI stuff. Um, I think it's really interesting. So great conversation, Akash. I'm so glad we have the opportunity to do this. 
Um, I've got some work to do on my account plans and uh, a few other things coming out of our conversation today. So I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for taking some time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.